bit about Hebrews and also walk through the first chapter and a little bit of chapter two. So it's going to be a little bit, a lot to get done in the next 30 minutes. I need my, my iPad actually, my timer here. So turn to Hebrews chapter one. We're going to start by reading the first four verses of this book. Hebrews 1, verse 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The theme of our series in Hebrews is Christ is better. Because I believe that is the goal of Hebrews, to show us how Christ is better than everything else we try to put our trust in. Christ is better than angels. Christ is His covenant is better than the Old Covenant. Christ is a better priest than the Old Testament priest. Christ is better than Moses. Christ's sacrifice is a better sacrifice than all the animal sacrifices over and over and over. And over and over again, the author of Hebrews is going to try to show us Christ is better, which is a great message for us this year, just to focus on. I want to begin a little bit with a background on Hebrews. So I'm going to do a little bit, big picture of uh, Hebrews, the author, why it was written, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time near the end of the message just diving into these verses in the first chapter of Hebrews, which is a lot about angels, which is very uh, interesting to me. So a little bit of background on Hebrews. How many of you, by the way, have read Hebrews before? How many of you guys have read this book before? So maybe over half you guys. So I'd highly encourage you to read it. You can read it in about 40 to 45 minutes straight through. Hebrews is different than any other book in the New Testament. We have the Gospels, which are an account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So they give us this historical. And John, you know, more of a theological account of Jesus' life. Many of the New Testament books are written to churches. A few of them are letters to pastors or individuals. Revelation, we studied at advance, you know is very different than any of the other book. It's apocalyptic vision of God and his throne and Christ ruling over all things. But Hebrews is different than any other book in the New Testament because Hebrews is a sermon. It's just a sermon. It's one sermon recorded for us from the early church. If you sat down, as I said, and read it from beginning to end, it would take you about 40 to 45 minutes, which is about the length of a sermon we do on Sunday mornings. I'd highly recommend uh, for you to read it. You can also listen to it on the ESV app if you would want to do that. 
it's written down and intended to be read aloud to the congregation. So the recipients of this would have received it on a Sunday morning. They would have just read this to the congregation and it reads like a sermon would. It has a flow, an argument. It has application and exhortation for us. Uh, It's trying to persuade us about something, that Christ is better than anything else that we would try to put our hope in. It's one lengthy sermon. Hebrews, sometimes people avoid it because it has some pretty tricky theological sections. It's got a whole section talking about Melchizedek, the priest, which has some hard things to understand. It talks a lot about old covenants and new covenants, and we're going to talk about that this semester, what that means. It talks about the tabernacle and the holy place and the most holy place and priests and what they had to do to go into the holy place and the most holy place. So it's got some tricky theological sections, but what I love about Hebrews is all these sections are intended by the author to help us bring our Bibles together. So he's writing the sermon to help us understand why God did what he did in the Old Testament. So Hebrews helps us understand why God built the tabernacle. If you're doing the Bible reading plan, you're going to read that this month in Exodus. If you're doing the Bible reading plan with us as a church. It talks about the priests and what their role was in God's kingdom. It talks about the sacrifices, why God had the people of God make these sacrifices. He explains the covenants God made with his people and why the new covenant in Jesus is better. So if you have a hard time understanding the Old Testament, if, you, if you're often like I was as a young Christian reading the Old Testament going, I don't understand, like, what does this have to do with Jesus? And I don't understand what this whole section of Exodus and Leviticus, like, what does this have to do today? Hebrews helps us understand how we apply the Old Testament to our lives today. It helps us bring our Bibles together. It helps us understand the whole storyline of Scripture. And so I thought, With the Bible reading plans we're doing this year, if you're doing that with us, it's a great time to bring our Bibles together and understand the whole message of the Bible. So it's got this Old Testament, it helps us understand Jesus is better, it brings our Bibles together. That's not really the main point of this sermon. The main point of the sermon we call Hebrews, it's really written for a very practical reason, which I think would really serve teens today as I read it. If you read it, if you read through Hebrews, you're going to come across these warning passages over and over and over, uh, multiple times. And uh, look look in your Bibles. I'm going to flip through a few of these. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, look at them with me. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 5, verse 11, all the way down through chapter 6, verse 12, is really a long warning against apostasy warning us to not turn away from God and not to turn away from Jesus Christ. He even warns us not to remain immature, 
Not to have just a basic understanding and never learn truly about God and Christ and never to go deeper into study of God's word. He warns us against neglecting to do that. Top chapter 10, verses uh, 26 through 27. He says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Someone actually asked specifically about those two verses at the last Brenner. We didn't get to it because it was in one of the notes afterwards that Spencer threw onto the ground. He didn't want me to answer, but... The person said, you know, I read Hebrews 10, 26 through 27. And what they said on their question was, this verse is scary. It's terrifying to me. And so I thought, man, what a good time to address these warning passages. It's really what the sermon is about. It made me think of uh, these warning signs that we have along the road. How many of you, by the way, have learned to drive already? How many of you guys are already drivers? So... Many of you have not learned to drive yet, but when you start learning to drive, you're going to learn there's these warning signs on the road. You know, school zone ahead, slow down to to 20 miles per hour, 15 miles per hour, or a yield sign, which tells you, you know, traffic's coming this way, and you have to slow down before you enter that traffic, or someone may ram into you, or even like construction signs saying, construction ahead, and there's someone, there's going to be a flag ahead, so watch for this person ahead. I remember being just a little kid right after, uh, I was little, probably being about eight years old, after my sister got her driver's license, and my mom had my sister drive me and my brother, who was probably 12 at the time, to go visit some friends that were like 30 minutes outside of Buffalo where we lived. And I remember this pretty vividly because the police officer would not let us forget what happened. So we're driving along. And there is like a construction zone with these dump trucks. And there was a construction guy waving this red flag, like waving it in front of us. And my sister doesn't even slow down. She just changes lanes and just goes right by this guy. And of course, there's a police officer, a motorcycle cop, and he takes off after us. It was the first time my sister got pulled over. She was like boohooing and crying and sobbing. And this police officer was terrifying. He had those mirror glasses that you could see yourself in. And I remember as an eight-year-old, him sitting there yelling at my sister. And I just remember, I don't remember everything he said, but I remember he was describing to her picking brains up off the road of someone who gets hit by a dump truck. He was like, you want to be on the road with brains scattered everywhere. And she's just crying, boo-hooing, you know, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And uh, so you really want to listen to those warning signs. That's the whole point of that illustration, okay? Over and over, Hebrews, he gives us these warnings. He gives us these warning signs, which is the main application of this sermon. And sometimes people struggle with this because you read... Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, and it does sound like a threat. You know, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And people read that like it's a threat. It's not, it's not intended to be a threat. In the sermon, he's not threatening us, but he is warning us. He's putting up these signs. And he's saying, you're going to be tempted to drift away. You're going to be tempted to neglect the gospel of Christ. You're going to be tempted to go on sinning and just 
pretending like, oh, I can just deliberately sin and do whatever I want and God will just forgive me, you know, which is really uh, neglecting the gospel, what it means to turn from our sins and trust in Christ. So he gives us this warning signs and all these sections about Jesus being better, it's his defense for don't turn away from him. Don't neglect the gospel. Don't fail to listen to Jesus because he is better. He's better than the old covenant. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. He's a better savior. He is better. Don't fail to listen to him. The main point of the sermon of the book of Hebrews, here's kind of, as I read through it, I thought this is kind of the point of Hebrews. Since the work of Christ is so great, it would be folly to turn away from him. And that's what I love for the teens to capture. Man, you're a teenager. If you could just capture, man, Christ is so great. He's a great savior. He's God. I mean, he's the radiance of the glory of God. It would be folly to turn away from him. It would be, it would be foolish to run towards anything else because Jesus is better. And he keeps doing this over and over. It's really the whole, what we're going to do this whole semester is a warning and then Jesus is better. Here's why you want to listen to this warning. That's how the sermon kind of unfolds as you read through the book of Hebrews. So that's kind of an overview of where we're going this semester. And now let's look a little bit at these verses we read at the beginning in Hebrews chapter 1. So I love too how he starts his sermon I wish I could start a sermon like this. He comes out of the gate swinging, you know. What a great opening line to a sermon. Look at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I think if I was in the, the congregation as this sermon is being preached, I kind of sit up on my seat a little bit and perk up. Man, that's a good opening line to a sermon. And something else I realized about this opening line is he has five words that all start in Greek with the letter P over and over and over. So you know when pastors sometimes have like points that all start with the same letter? That's a biblical defense of doing that right there. It's like five times he uses these words. He just comes out swinging, you know, like God spoke to our fathers. God is a God who speaks. God is not silent. That's how we know about him. We can look at creation and creation reveals there is a God. Everybody knows there is a God. And we can see through creation how powerful and wise he is. But we learn exactly who God is because he tells us. He's a God who speaks. We don't have to wonder how the universe came to be or why we exist or where we are going because God has spoken. And he says that what God used to do is he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So if you read through the Old Testament, you'll realize God spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he gave them this covenant. He spoke to Moses and to Joshua. I was just reading this week about Moses going up onto Mount Sinai. It's in, covered in this cloud, and God is speaking through the thunder and communicating with Moses. And the people are so terrified, they won't even get near the mountain as God is speaking to Moses. God spoke 
to Joshua, told him not to be afraid that he would be with him. God spoke to Samuel and to Saul and to David and to many of the kings and the prophets. He is speaking all over the place, over many years, at many different times, God has spoken to his people. Now, today, in these last days, he has spoken once and for all by his son. Christ is better. His word is better. He comes out and he wants to make sure that Jesus' voice is the loudest in our ears. I, I thought about that, how you know, he, all these voices are loud that God has spoken. Man, he wants the son's voice to be the loudest. And I remembered my freshman year of college, I had this college roommate. And I don't know why we did this. Well, one day we kind of got into a little bit of an argument. I think it was, it was an argument. It's definitely an argument. And we both had these things back in the day called boom boxes. Did you guys ever have boom boxes? I had this awesome boom box. I mean, it looked really cool. I had these big speakers. And I was pretty proud of my boombox. And so I was telling him, like, my, my boombox is louder than your boombox. That's just a fact. And he was like, you know, just because it's bigger doesn't mean it's louder. Mine has, like, these better speakers. And he actually was an engineer, so he was defending his boombox with, like, all this scientific stuff. And I was like, okay. So we both turned on our boomboxes, and we kept turning them up louder and louder and louder to see who would be the loudest. And it was kind of out of control at one point. Two different songs, both of us cranking them up, and we were just going at it. And then all of a sudden, I heard this bang on our door, and our RA came, and he was really upset with us uh, because we were disturbing the whole floor with our boom boxes, you know. But I just thought, out of the gate here, in this sermon, it's like he's turning up the volume. God has spoken through all these prophets to our fathers over many years, but now he has spoken through his son. And he wants to tell us why we should listen to him, why we should listen to Jesus Christ. And this is what he does in verses three and four, because Christ is better. He's a better word for us today. Look at verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. God's glory is revealed through Jesus Christ. He is the exact imprint of his nature. The word used there is the word they use to, to make an imprint of a coin. Like placing it in clay and making a mold. So you could do that and see exactly what that coin would have looked like. He's saying Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. He represents the character and nature of God to us because he is God. He reveals to us who God is. This is how God has spoken to us. He's spoken through his son. Think about Jesus. You've read about him in the Gospels. You've heard sermons about him. Think about how he loved people, how he cared for people, how he treated sinners, how he was patient with his disciples, even though so often they were morons, you know? You just read and you go, Jesus, how did you have patience for these guys? He's patient with them. He fed the masses. It said he looked on them as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. He healed the sick. We have, uh, you know, all these stories about him going towards the outcast and bringing them in and caring for them. We can look at Jesus, and it tells us what God is like. 
That, that, if you ever have that question, sometimes little kids have that question. You know, what is God like? And it's sometimes hard to describe God to them because God is invisible. And in that sense, He's inaccessible to us. We would always used to do the little catechism with our kids saying, can you see God? No, I can't see God, but he always sees me. And we say, does he see you when you're sneaking and eating candy? Yeah, he sees me. Does that bother you? No, not at all, you know. But it's kind of hard to get a grasp on how do we describe God? What is God like? Well, he wants us to know God has spoken to us by his son. We can describe exactly what God is like by going to Jesus Christ. Listen to John 1.18. Jesus says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. We haven't seen God, but Jesus has made him known to us. Jesus said, even later to his disciples, to Philip, he said, Whoever has seen me has seen God. So he speaks to us through his Son. You can know God through Jesus Christ. You can know what God is like. Verse 3, we should listen to him. We should listen to his voice because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, that's how powerful the Son is. His word, his voice upholds the universe. Just think about that for a second. Okay, I have a few photos here. The first one is of our sun, which is the nearest star. I took this with my phone. I have a great, I have a great camera on my phone. The sun is 93 million miles away. Over a million earths can fit inside the sun, a million of them. 93 million miles away. And yet, when we leave our solar system, our sun is just one of many different stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy. So, our, we're just like a little tiny speck in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big, the Milky Way, that if you traveled at the speed of light, it would take a hundred thousand years to travel that span at the speed of light. It's how long it takes light to travel across the Milky Way galaxy. A hundred thousand years. And yet our galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies in the known universe. And I don't know why I chose this picture with this kid holding up the universe, but I just thought He's just kind of amazed by it, you know, whoever this little guy is here worshiping the universe. But just think about that. The Milky Way is like one of billions of galaxies in the known universe. And this sermon says his word upholds all of that. Jesus, by his word, upholds the universe. Yeah, yeah, I think we should listen to him, you know, that is a better word for us than anything else we could ever hear. His word upholds the universe. And finally, in verse 4, he tells us that Christ is better and we should listen to him because Jesus is superior and better and more excellent than the angels. And the whole rest of chapter 1 he's not really bashing angels. He's kind of bashing angels. He's just kind of saying things like, 
you know, to what angel did God ever say, you're my son? You know, there's no angel he said that to. I feel like he's kind of mocking angels over and over. And he has this lengthy section on angels showing that Jesus is better. And I don't really know why. I've studied this. I don't know why he has this lengthy section on angels. I'm not sure if people then were tempted to worship angels You know, from here down to chapter 2, verse 16, it's all about angels. Maybe the recipients of this first sermon were like people that had angel statues all over their house and angel dolls and weird angel things they liked having around, like cat people kind or something. I don't know what was going on with angels. That kind of made me wonder, like, I wonder what the original audience thought about angels at that time. And then I had the thought, I wonder what people today think about angels. I don't really think about angels a lot. I just something, we talked, we, we had a conversation in the kitchen the other day about it, about guardian angels. And I was saying, I don't really know if I see guardian angels in the Bible somewhere. You know, we were kind of talking about angels. And I was saying, I don't really think about angels a lot for some reason. And so I wondered, what do people think about angels? And so, of course, I searched it online. And the pictures that came up were very disturbing to me, what people today think about angels. The, the main ones that started coming up were of angel babies. Uh, I, you know, like, I don't know if you think about angels like this, but this was somewhat concerning to me. It's a little kid with the bow and arrow, this like flying angel baby. And this next one is very famous, which is concerning because they're very bored. You know, these angels, babies are sitting there and they have nothing to do. I noticed that most of the angel pictures online are all female. So I saw lots of angel pictures like this and I was like, dude, Some guy has some crush on some girl, and he's like, you're like an angel, you know? And he's like drawing this picture of her. It was all females. All the angels were female. And then there was also a few pictures I thought were cool of uh, warrior angels. So there was some of this, which I thought this kind of is a defense for the man bun right here. Like, if you have wings and a sword like that, you can have a man bun. Otherwise, no, you can't do it. But in this case... I was like, somebody who has a man bun drew this to go, like, angels have man buns. I should be able to have one. But there's kind of warrior angels. And then I found this one, which I just thought was hilarious, this last one. I have a feeling my guardian angel looks like this often. I thought that's probably how we feel, like, oh, he did it again. I just thought, you know, what do people think about angels? I don't think about angels a lot. But I think the point of this sermon is, man, Jesus is better than anything else God has created. You know, he's better than any man that's ever lived, but he's not not even better than all the humans on earth. He's also better than all the angels in heaven, these legions of angels. You read Revelation and these elders around the throne and these beasts and all these other things. I don't think about that often. I don't think about these other things that God has created. But Jesus is better than all of them. He reigns over all. Over the whole universe, he reigns. And chapter 2, verse 1, gives us the practical aspect of what the sermon is trying to tell us. Look look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. Therefore, Jesus is better, he's better, he's better. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. And he goes on to say that the message we've received from Jesus is better than the message declared by angels, which you can read about in the book of Exodus. And if we drift from it, look at verse 3. 
How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you see there's this practical aspect to this sermon? He doesn't want them to drift away from the gospel they've heard. He doesn't want them to fail to listen to Jesus. So his whole argument is Jesus is better. God has spoken to us through his son. We can know God. We can know what he's like. The God who created us. We can know him through Jesus. Don't fail to listen to him. Don't neglect to hear his voice. And you know, you know when you read chapter 2 verse 1, you know this is possible. You know it's possible to fail to listen to someone. You have sat through a sermon before, I promise you have, because I have, and afterwards at lunch, it's like, hey, well, what'd you think about the sermon? You're like, sermon? What sermon? There was a sermon today, you know? Or it could be like your teacher at school, and they're going on and on, and this this happened to me one time where somehow the teacher figured out I was in la-la land, and I remember distinctly, I was just sitting there, I must have been looking up at the ceiling or something and just kind of smiling, and they were talking and talking, and they called on me to answer the question. And I just gave that look like, I, have, I don't even know where I am right now. You know, like, I'm so lost. We fail to listen, or maybe your parents are talking, and you're just, you know, you're somewhere else in your mind. We can fail to listen. We can drift. What he's saying here is if we fail to listen to Christ, there are extreme consequences for us. That's, he, he's warning them. If you fail to listen to Jesus, God's final word, his best word is Jesus. And if we fail to listen to him, there's consequences. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He doesn't answer the question because the answer is we don't escape. We can't escape if we neglect. And I also thought about this, verse 3. He doesn't say... How shall we escape if we reject such a great salvation? It's not just rejecting Jesus. It's not like we're just shaking our fists at the heavens and saying, I don't want anything to do with you, but it's it's more subtle than that. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How how do we escape if we don't take it seriously? If, If we're too busy or too preoccupied with other things, if we neglect and we drift away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's warning them. Don't let this happen to you. Jesus is so much better. Jesus himself shared a parable. You can find, we're not going to turn there. You can find it in Matthew 22. That uses the same word for neglect. The parable is about the kingdom of heaven. And a king who throws a great wedding feast for his son. And he tells his servants, go and invite, all, invite everyone we know to this feast. And they go and they invite everybody. They invited all these people. And this is what it says. This is what Jesus said in this parable. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business. They paid no attention. This is what it means to neglect listening to Jesus Christ. We don't respond. We don't take it seriously. We get distracted by other things that aren't as important. And so he's just preaching the sermon to say, Jesus is better. He's the best. Listen to him. Don't neglect listening. 
Have you drifted? It's a warning to us. It's not a threat, but it's a warning. You know, people, people often ask me, this comes up at Brenner sometimes, and I have this question a lot. You know, what about people who've never heard about Christ? What about people who live in some foreign country and they've never heard about Christ? And I think, you know, that's a good question. That's the question we should ask. But that's the question of this sermon is, well, what about the people who have heard about Christ? What do they do with that message? Are they listening? Are they paying attention? Are they taking it seriously? Are they turning from their sins and trusting in Him? Are they worshiping Him? Are they honoring Him with their lives? What about those who have heard about Jesus? And it goes back to his whole point. Jesus is better. Don't neglect such a great salvation. It's a great blessing to be in a family that believes in Christ. It's a great blessing to be in a church that preaches the gospel. It's a great blessing to have friends around you who follow Jesus. Like he's telling us, don't take that for granted. Don't assume, oh yeah, I've come and I've been a part of this and my parents go here, therefore I'm good. He's saying, don't do that. Don't assume that. Don't neglect to listen to Jesus Christ. And over and over again, this sermon, this semester, and really up into advance, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, but it's going to tell us Christ is better. He's better than this old covenant. He's better than these sacrifices. He's better than these priests. He is better. So let's listen to him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to have, we've got several minutes we can do some discussion time. So Father, I thank you for tonight. Pray for everyone here. I thank you for your word that Jesus is better than everything else in creation, everything else in this world and beyond. You are better, Jesus. So I want to pray for 2022. I pray for this semester. I pray for the students here. Pray that they'd be captivated by a vision of Jesus Christ that captures their hearts and their affections and their lives. And I pray they would love worshiping him and honoring him. So come and fill us with your spirit and with this vision from your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. we got about 10 minutes for discussion time as families. We have uh, three questions for you. So if your parents aren't here, you can jump in with whoever brought you or a friend and their family. Uh, number one, are there any questions you have about how the Old Testament applies today, jot them down and give them to Mr. Plew and he'll try to get them in the series. That's a way for me to get stuff from you, what you want to hear about the Old Testament. So if you have anything that comes up, talk about it, let me know. Number two, look again at the warning passages in Hebrews and I put them down for you there. Why do you think we typically avoid passages like this? Why do they scare us? And why do you think they're in God's Word? So we're going to hit these over and over. So just look at those passages and think about how to apply them today. And then number three, are there any ways you feel like you are neglecting to listen to Christ? We have 10 minutes. Uh, talk about those in your family, and then I'll come back up and I'll give us some direction for our game after that.